0: Today, we're privileged to have with us the founder
1: and president of People G2, Chris Dyer. Hey, Chris. Good afternoon, and thank you for joining me. Again, my name is Chris Dyer, and I'll be your host for the next hour. In case you're tuning in for the first time, the Talent Talk Radio Show features a wide range of guests who care about talent or are uniquely talented themselves, and in most cases, both. On this show, we talk about talent in those two ways. First, as it relates to success and uncovering the secrets of really talented people. And second, we also talk about talent in relation to human resources and how HR leaders find the best candidates today. Hopefully, you see how that works. The word talent has a couple different meanings in the business world, and this show looks to really explore those two areas. My guests include CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR executives, and other great people from all different types of industries. And when I'm out at networking events or industry conferences... Uh, I have the privilege of meeting inspiring leaders all the time, so I created this forum to allow you to listen in on our dialogue and learn some practical advice that will hopefully impact your own career in a positive way. Before I get to my guest today, I want to thank those of you tuning in live. Don't forget, you can submit your questions to my guest via Twitter. Just tweet at PeopleG2, hashtag talent talk at the end of your question, and My producer, Mike, will feed me the best questions, and we'll try to work them into the show. Don't forget, you can also listen to the show via our podcast on iTunes, as well as subscribe to have the weekly show sent to you. This week, uh, we are surpassing the 13,500 listener mark uh, for uh, people subscribed to our podcast and listening each week, and we're really proud of that, so thank you. With that being said, let me get today's show started. My guests today are Brady Ballantyne, Executive Vice President of Unified Dispatch, and Albert Donahue, CEO of Paylip Global. Albert will be joining me in the second half of the show. So let me get to my first guest. Brady, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you, thank you for having me, Chris.
1: So tell us about yourself and uh, the company you're currently working for, Unified Dispatch.
2: Well, as you said, I'm the Executive Vice President of Unified Dispatch. We're generally known to our customers as UDI. Our company is a wholly owned division of Veolia Transportation On Demand, which is headquartered in Scottsdale, Arizona. Most people know them through Super Shuttle, ExecuCar, and several cab companies that Veolia owns. UDI itself is a technology development company with specific expertise in software and systems in the transit space, principally taxi, paratransit, and bus services. Our principal product is called Unibook, and it's an interactive voice response product that we integrate with telephony, scheduling, and dispatch systems to automate some of the repetitive call center processes common in transportation like booking a cab or checking the status of an existing reservation. We also have a product called Trip Compare that facilitates the use of for hire vehicles to provide rides to paratransit customers when it makes more sense for the transit agency to outsource rides as opposed to using their own assets like vans or buses. In addition, we provide custom uh, in-house development for Veolia, primarily related to systems integration.
1: So it sounds like you have quite a, a unique uh, subset of skills that you know, your company is driving and also maybe providing to, the, to Veolia. So maybe you could talk about some of the challenges you face when trying to find talented individuals for your company uh, you know, as you look to expand and improve.
2: I think the biggest thing that we face is just the technology-specific nature of our work. In addition to wanting to find people with deep telephony experience or industry expertise, we're also looking for leading edge capabilities building on the Microsoft platform. So, uh, you know, it's an interesting business, but it isn't necessarily one that uh, developers are thinking about coming out of college. Um, and uh, while the transportation business is seeing a lot of rapid technology change at the moment, that's a relatively recent occurrence.
1: Maybe you can kind of explain for our, our listeners who aren't familiar with telephony kind of what that is and how that really plays out to what you're trying to do.
2: So our uh, IVR system, the interactive voice response, it's uh, if you think about it as as calling a business and instead of speaking to a human being, speaking to a machine. Uh, in our case, we do they're human voice prompts, so the, the recordings are re- you know recorded by a human being, and we try to be. Uh, smart about how we implement. We uh, recognize that when most people call uh, a, a transportation business, like if we use the example of booking a, a reservation for uh, a cab ride, you know you really don't want to speak to somebody very long, or you don't want to speak to a machine for very long. You want to get your reservation made and and get on with things. And so we try to implement our systems in that way. And the telephony piece is the it's the phone system that. Uh, handles the incoming calls to the call center and the interaction, uh, with, uh, our technology to either handle the, the customer's call in an automated fashion, or at some point to transition it to a live agent, uh, in a seamless manner.
1: So once you get those people, you know, brought in and you've identified them and, uh, you know, you really kind of find that right person, what are some of the things that you're doing within your organization to develop the leadership and talent uh, of each person on an individual level.
2: Uh, I think of really three things that we do. The first is we give all of our developers broad exposure to projects um, from day one. We don't pigeonhole them into a specific product or a subset of a product, and they learn by doing. They have an active role on projects. You know, once the general orientation uh, is completed, and they're they're thrown uh, thrown into a project and have an active role, supervised, of course, but you know, active involvement right away. And then, I think the third thing is we have a culture where all of our people strive for excellence, but where it's also okay to fail. And I think this allows for folks to challenge themselves to do great work, and and we think it accelerates learning.
1: It sounds like the kind of environment where people might be recommending, you know, others that they know to come in. Uh, and that may be one of the tools that you use in recruiting, but m- maybe you have some other tools that you use to attract top talent.
2: Well, our head of engineering uh, he maintains a, an active profile of of resumes uh, on uh, you know individuals either that, that he's worked with or have applied for positions before. We are a relatively small organization, so from time to time we do bring in contract uh, employees as well. And so we try to keep an active pool of, of highly qualified individuals uh, to supplement our regular workforce. But but I think you hit the nail on the head. The the primary means by which we recruit is through um, you know through relationships that already exist.
1: Well, that, and that can be a great indicator of you know things are going well for your company, that you have a good culture and a good environment. if, if you're able to rely on your staff to kind of help you bring in great people. Uh, we've noticed through the, the show through the interviews that that's, that's one of the things that good companies are talking about, you know, and other companies I talk to that who aren't really candidates for the show, you know, that's not something that they can say. I mean, they're, they're having problems getting people and having to really take on these other large projects or, or third party things, um, in order to get people. And that's because they kind of have a broken culture a little bit. Uh, maybe we turn the focus a little bit, you know, into your background. I know that in looking at it, certainly so have some experiment experience in, in management and technology consulting as well as other positions that you held where uh kind of helped you kind of get where you are today what what are, what are the one or one or two things that maybe were key that you learned that you kind of took away from your professional experience prior to this position that really helped you maybe get there or you know be successful in what you're doing
2: well i you know i First, I, I think I've been fortunate to have a variety of roles in my career and across almost every area of an organization. So, you know, that's, I've, I've been exposed to a lot, which has been very helpful. But uh, interestingly, I think the most significant two things are actually pretty simple. And, and the first is don't panic. That's kind of a, a mantra I have in the back of my head. Uh, and with rare exceptions, when things don't go as planned, they are, you know, really seldom as bad as they seem initially. Um, and I think particularly in a position of leadership, panic leads to poor decisions. It also tends to spread uh, very quickly. And it's something I learned while I was running operations and product support for a company called UNX. They are a, a software development firm that built high-frequency trading software and smart trading engines. And if we ever had a system issue during the trading day, the first words out of our CTO's mouth were always, don't panic. And uh, initially, I thought, it sounded a little irritating but over time I realized that those were exactly the right words for you know troublesome situations, uh, particularly when there was a lot of money potentially on the line. And then the second lesson for me has been that there will always be more work for tomorrow. Now, certainly there are times when it's necessary to burn the midnight oil to meet a deadline or when excellent service requires the a commitment of time above and beyond the, the normal call of duty, but I think finding balance in life is one of the most important things we can do, and I think it's important for all employees even the most senior leaders in an organization to do that. When crazy hours dominate our lives, I think two things happen. I think we become less efficient, and I think the reality is that FaceTime doesn't truly equate to productivity. And I also think it can have a negative impact on our health, whether it's mentally, physically, emotionally, and I firmly believe that work addiction is simply not viable long-term.
1: Yeah, something will get in your way along the way, right? Your know, relationships, yep. your health, your, you know, your productivity, whatever it may be. You're absolutely right. So maybe what is something that you hope that your employees and the talent that you have around you kind of take away from working at a company like Unified Dispatch?
2: I think one of the big things is to not judge a book by its cover. Uh, I think you know IVR, transit technology, telephony. I'd be willing to bet that it's not on most people's uh, list of you know sexy environments or or sexy things to work on, but we do some very interesting work with great projects across the U.S. and Canada, and it's actually a phenomenal time to be focused on technology in our industry. And, uh, you know, I think uh, if people are open to to new industries, I think they might find that uh, there's uh, some very, very cool stuff they can be working on.
1: So you mentioned uh, a minute ago about uh, one of your past uh, you know, person who was a leader for you that kind of taught you that don't panic motto. I mean, maybe this person would, would be who you identify, maybe some other people. But you know, who or what has had kind of the greatest impact on your own personal leadership development and, and why?
2: Well, uh, you know, you're right, uh, that, that CTO um, is somebody that I, I've known since uh, I was actually in high school. He he was a, a college classmate of my brother, and and we had the opportunity to work together for about 10 years. And uh, we have very, very different work styles. Uh, and, you know, we didn't always, our styles didn't always mesh perfectly. But one of the nice things about working with him is he, I always knew that he had my best interests in mind. And, and time he saw whether it was something I needed to do better or some aspect of my leadership that, that he thought I could change for the better, the betterment of myself or for our company, he w- did not hesitate to come into my office and shut my door and, and have a conversation with me. And, and of course, he was open to the same thing from me as well. So he would he would definitely be one person. But uh, I, I think uh, also at, at UNX, one of the unique things about my experience there was during my eleven years there. I, I believe we had six CEOs, so I was exposed to a very broad range of personalities and, and different work dynamics, and, and you know, some good, some bad, some had success, some, some less so. And I try to, in my own personal styles, I try to learn as much as I can from, from everybody that I work with, uh, particularly uh, leaders uh, in the places I've worked. And, and so I, I try to take a, a, you know, the best of, of each of those folks, and I also tried to learn from the mistakes that I saw. And then I guess the last thing for me is just, you know, I really, for me, it's kind of a work in progress. And I, I try to learn through, through what I observe. I learn through my own mistakes. And then, you know, from time to time, when I'm reading a business book, I certainly uh, try to learn from the the experience of uh, others who have been so kind as to share that experience with the rest of the world.
1: Well, being sort of an open-minded, introspective person, you you probably have identified some things over time, or maybe a one really big thing that, maybe now contributes to your role that really helps you. It's really a positive thing, but maybe you weren't so good at it in the beginning and you really had to work on it. Is there something like that that you've had to, to deal with?
3: Yeah, I think uh,
2: one of the, the key things, and I'm not sure if this is exactly uh, what you wanted wanted to, to get uh, on this question, but one of the things that's worked for me is the idea of, of trust but verify. Uh, I have a, a certainly a strong belief as a manager, to that I want people to develop their own style and to you know have the opportunity to push themselves. And I, I really am focused on object or objectives and outcomes rather than the specific specific details of how uh, somebody gets to those objectives. But uh, I tend to have a a, a very trusting and uh, personality that that people are doing things the right way. And I've both through advice that was given to me by by bosses I've had and through through my own experience I've learned that while it's great to trust it's also necessary to verify on a regular basis if for no other reason just to make sure that everybody's mindset is is uh, and focus is in the right direction and on the same things you know we we might be in the in the the same room and and have a conversation and and both hear the same words but leave with a little bit different understanding of exactly what that means and I so I think it's it's necessary to 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 trust folks to do a good job, but also to verify that, that people are on the, the same train, so to speak.
1: Yeah, and that can be a tough balancing act because you have to try to, like you said, verify, but you want to make sure you're still in, instilling trust, that you're not micromanaging, you're not disrupting the process in a way that you don't need to be, but at the same yeah. time, like you said, making sure everyone's on the same bus, we're all going the same direction, we're all making sure... That we're we're headed in the way that that you kind of laid out for them, and that and that can be tricky. I think people have a hard time with that. They probably go one direction or the other of completely trusting or completely micromanaging, and it really needs to be, be something more in the middle, right?
2: Yeah, I agree with that wholeheartedly. And I think if, depending on who the people are you're interacting with, it may take very very different styles on how you do that.
1: Right. Well, I'm sure you know. You talked about having some lots of different people that you had experiences with that were leaders for you and influenced you good and bad uh and i'm sure you've gotten a lot of great uh you know kind of perspective on yourself from that but part of of really learning and and growing is also uh seeking some of that stuff out yourself so i'm sure that uh you might have a great answer for my next uh, favorite question that we like to ask our guests and that is what are you reading right now
2: well, uh, again, not sure if this is uh, what you wanted, but it's the uh, God's honest truth. Uh, I'm reading uh, Your Personal Paleo Code by uh, Chris Cresser. It's a book that guides the reader through a plan to reshape their lifestyle for better health, and it debunks you know common myths about what a healthy diet truly is, as well as how to customize a paleo lifestyle that is right for you.
1: And so, are you considering, or have you already kind of gone to that paleo lifestyle?
2: I've jumped in uh, feet first. So uh, I used to be very athletic when I was younger, but uh, controlling my weight and staying fit has been a challenge for me, particularly uh, in middle age. And I think for me what I've found is that success in uh, attempting to lose weight or improving fitness comes down to su- sustainable change. And for me, uh, the paleo approach uh, seems to be to strike the right balance. And it's something that's, uh, you know, easy to, for me, it's been very easy to implement. And I truly think it's a lifestyle change that, uh, that I can sustain.
1: Well, that's great. That's good. good to hear. So, you know, turning back to uh, the work that you're doing and leading the team over at Unified Dispatch or UDI, maybe you can kind of talk a little bit about your creative process and how you get your team to brainstorm effectively.
2: For me, I think the biggest key to effective brainstorming is something I learned about 20 years ago when I was a consultant at Arthur Anderson, and the bottom line is it gets down to throwing out all the boundaries about what is acceptable or reasonable or possible and encouraging the team to consciously remove the sociological barriers that we as human beings tend to apply to just about everything we do. And, that, you know, we start doing that when we are very young, and, you know, we we hear from our parents or our peers, you know, don't do this, you know, don't do that. Only a fool would do that. And, you know, you, uh, uh, you must do this to fit in. So I think the sociology that we go through uh, as we age tends to make us kind of instinctively think that certain things aren't possible. And so our imagination can sometimes become uh, very small and we're really not open to to possibility so i think if you get everybody in the mindset that i'm not going to worry about whether something's okay or right or even what anybody's looking for just want to get any idea that comes to mind out on the table i think you can end up with some very interesting interesting ideas that, that come out of a, a brainstorming session like that
1: so kind of removing those those barriers those you know like you said a society puts on us the things you can and can't do just throwing it out there from a uh very uh, maybe guttural level, right? Just
2: right, exactly. Uh, unedited, yeah. unabridged,
1: and then and then scale it back, right?
2: Yes, exactly, exactly. I, when uh, then the training for this type of brainstorming, and I forget the details of the study, but the idea was something along the lines of you know when you if you were to uh, test. You know, four and five year olds uh, from on a, some sort of creativity scale that most of them would, would rate on the test as creative geniuses. And, but by the time they're eight years old, you know, it's something like 20%. Just because, so, you know, the, the idea of what's possible or reasonable becomes so defined by that age that the creativity in, in most people just, you know, it, it gets very, very limited at that point.
1: So it sounds like you have a good process for, for creativity, um, but you also have to worry about people continuing to improve and, and, and develop themselves uh, as time goes on so they're not stagnant and, and people who are generally stagnant are kind of help your company to be stagnant. So how do you really push or encourage people to continue to develop themselves there at UDI?
2: Well, you know, I think most companies, the, the annual review is sort of the obvious tool, but the problem is it's so <laughs> it only happens once a year, right? So uh, I think it comes down to setting realistic but challenging objectives, giving people the, the time and opportunity to experiment, and through regular communication. Uh, I think consistent and frequent communication is something that it's easy to say, but it's often a challenge to deliver. But I think that really that's at the the base level what's really critical for uh, people to developing their talent and you have to you have to know your people well too um, you know what what works for one person may not be uh, what the other person in, is interested in at all
1: so it's sort of a subjective kind of uh, you know individualized approach is, is more what you're advocating in
2: uh, yeah I think I think that's Got to be at the core. I mean, certainly there's, uh, there's, you know, you can rotate people on different projects, rotate them among different teams, mentor programs, that type of thing. Um, those are all uh, helpful and exceptionally valuable. In a small company like ours here, most people are working on each of the projects. They they interact with each other significantly every day. Uh, our head of engineering is is deeply tied into. Uh, what's going on on, on a day to day basis. It's communication ab- about what's expected and communication you know allowing people, giving them the the understanding that it's okay to experiment or to push themselves and, and you know I think sometimes it's it's the, you know the need to set objectives that that push people beyond maybe what they think they're capable of, but as a manager, you see the potential for.
1: And do you think that for individuals working in an organization, do you think that it's important for them to really kind of love what they're doing to be successful?
2: I think it's certainly helpful. Um, I think if you don't if you don't love what you're doing, then uh, at the very least you have to have some clear objectives for your purpose when you go to the office every day and what you personally are trying to get out of it. But certainly, I think in an ideal world, everybody would love what they do. But at the same time, there's a reason they call it work. So I think there's a balance there.
1: And do you think it's different for people who are in leadership positions as far as you know, the amount of passion or or love that they have for the job or the company that they're they're managing?
2: Yeah, I think it's important for the employees of a company to see leadership as, as being deeply engaged in the work and excited for the work that's being done. And I, I think you could. I think it's possible to do that without, uh, you know, loving, loving the job every day. But I, you know, that's certainly. I think it's critical for for people to see that that, that those in a leadership role are, are very, very uh, in tune with the company and engaged in the objectives, and and you know, also you know, pulling their weight to drive the organization forward.
1: We're just about, uh, you know, out of time here. I wanted to get one last final question into you, and, and that is, you know, how can people get a hold of you if they're uh, interested in learning more about you and Unified Dispatch?
2: Hey, my, uh, Well, uh, Unified Dispatch is... Uh Uh, Our web address is www.unified-dispatch.com. The content there is at a very high level, and we're we're working to add more depth there, but that's at least a good place to start. Um, To contact me personally, my email address is brady at unified-dispatch.com. And I'm certainly not prolific in the social media world, but uh, I am on Twitter uh, via at Brady Ballantyne, all one word, And I'm also on LinkedIn.
1: Well, Brady, thank you so much for being our guest today on the Talent Talk radio show. Uh, Hopefully you can come back at some point and give us an update on how you're doing. And it was a real pleasure having you.
2: That sounds good. Thank you very much. I appreciate it.
1: Thank you. Albert Donahue is coming up next after we take this quick commercial break.
2: (laughs) when it comes to
4: pioneers in their respective industries we all know the apples starbucks and trader joe's of the world in the realm of recruiting decision toolbox is the industry's best-kept secret with ninety percent of their business from referrals and repeat customers for over twenty years decision Toolbox's u.s based team of recruiters sourcers, professional writers quality personnel and tech support has perfected a six sigma approach to talent management And let's give a shout-out to our sponsor
0: for Talent Talk Radio Show. That would be People G2, a company founded in 2001 that's dedicated to helping clients with their people-related decisions. They do that by giving companies access to the best human capital, due diligence, and background checks available today for all your prospective candidates, business partners, tenants, and more. People G2 was recently named one of the best places to work right here in Orange County and they were also named one of the fastest growing privately held companies here in Orange County by the Orange County Business Journal. They've also been recognized nationwide by making it on the Inc. 5000 list of fastest growing privately held companies throughout the country. If you want to learn more about all the opportunities and excitement happening at People G2, please visit them online at simple www.peopleg2 that's www.peopleg2. And now back to our show with Chris's next guest.
1: My next guest is Albert Donahue, CEO of Halep Global. Uh, don't forget to tweet your questions live right now for Albert by sending them to peopleg2 talent talk. Uh, just a quick reminder you can subscribe to the podcast of this show and listen to past shows by visiting octalkradio.net and clicking on the shows tab, and of course, clicking on talent talk. In the short time we've existed, we've already amassed a huge following, as I mentioned, uh, over 13,500 uh, listeners uh, last week to the, the show and the podcast, and we're very proud of that. So let's go ahead and get to, to Albert. Uh, welcome to our show.
3: Yes, yeah, hi, guys. How are you doing? Doing well. Yeah, well,
1: we can. I can hear. We can hear you, okay. I know uh, Albert is not in the same studio. He's not in the same city, or the state, or the country. In fact, he's overseas. Where are you uh, at right well, now?
3: Uh, another another part of the world, right now. I, I'm in Russia, and you know, uh, one of the parts I'm actually working on
1: a uh, And so, which part of Russia are you in?
3: I'm in Moscow currently. Okay.
1: Okay. And it's snowing. It's snowing. Well, that that that's good. That's a little bit colder than the where the Olympics have been dealing with. Uh, 60 degree weather, Fahrenheit. They said. So tell us about yourself and your company.
3: Well, uh, basically, our company is a e-commerce e-commerce system company, and uh, we're working on uh internet business, and we're globalizing you know all the websites and all the companies that has some kind of a product that actually on website and we're localizing them and we're actually uh, marketing and uh, distributing a around the world. That's what we do.
1: So you've been CEO since June of 2012 and I think when you stepped into that role, you looked at the overall picture and health of the company, you know, what did you really find and what were some of the immediate changes that you felt you had to address? You have to understand how it works. You know, basically, you know,
3: anytime when the CEO comes into the company. First of all, uh, who is hiring the CEO, that's the most important thing, and for what, for what reason? And the CEO comes in with their own agenda, and they have their own vision, and they have their own, um, you know, purpose, Uh, and the CEO, of course, is going to make a big change in a company's politics, in a company's strategy, but also, you know, there are, Tons of things that you actually, when you come into the company, you see that you have to change. And some of the things that actually have to be fixed, some of the things that have to be, um, you know, uh, redirected and all that stuff. So uh, the CEO and the company co- or cooperation, I would say that way, it is very important for the company to grow.
1: And were there some, you know, real immediate things that you felt like you had to address when you took over the company?
3: Well, um, you know, the first of all, you know, I had to work on the management. That was the biggest thing that I had actually had to do, and I actually had to work also on our you know, employees to open up um, you know, the the vision that I had. And uh, you know, and it takes time when when your um the employees trying to understand where you're trying to go and how global you're trying to be. And it is sometimes very hard because we're dealing with a lot of cultures, you know, in different countries and that's why, you know, um, you so know, it takes time for the employees to understand how the CEO wants to do and where the CEO wants to go. And you know, as a CEO, as being a leader, you have to be always, you know, not only forthcoming for as a leader, also you have to be forthcoming as a teacher as well. So uh, that's one of the you know the challenges that we had, or I had, you know, when I just joined
1: the company. So with with your talent coming from you know many different countries and different uh, cultures, different perspectives, and having to kind of mesh all that together. What is it you do to ensure that you're recruiting top talent for your company? Um, you know, uh, basically for the CEO, um, you know, let's say, you know, uh,
3: first of all, the CEO needs to understand, you know, what is the company structure. Without the company structure, you cannot do anything else. When you find out the company structure that you have, then you. Up and then you start to you know uh, target the targeting the employees or the talents that actually you're trying to get into that uh, so what uh, we actually tried to do with our company is that we first of all drop down you know all the departments together and then then we started to look forward for specific talent within that department who can be able to what called uh, work to work together, not only just only you know uh, showing their expectations, but also working as a team. So uh, you know every single department has its own um, you know requirements. That's when we actually approach to the talent that we actually trying to recruit or to hire
1: So as you look at your company today, then what is the area or areas that you feel that still need to be strengthened by bringing in a. Continued influx of talented individuals.
3: Communication. That's the biggest, biggest challenge that right now we have because we're a global company and we're dealing with the 14 different corporations and different worldwide companies. And the biggest challenge that we have is the communication between those corporations. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we're having a lot of you know issues when people are talking you know from U.S. to Europe and from China to Russia from Russia. Latin America. So uh, these are the challenges that right now we're facing and um, you know well, basically that's the biggest challenge we have in the world, you know
1: You need a living Google translator, it sounds like.
3: Uh, well Google Translator is not gonna be the best one, I can tell you that share, and you know, I tried myself uh, tried to try to Google Translate, and sometimes you having so funny things, you know, uh-huh. in my Facebook, if you look at it, you know, I have a lot of, you know, funny jokes about Google translate.
1: <laughs> yeah, especially if coming from all those different things, I mean, and it sometimes can be hard to find the right person that, you know, can, you, you can find people that speak two languages, but sounds like with what you're dealing with, you need someone that might speak three or four or five, that can really... You know, interact at a high level, at a management level, uh, between those companies, and that that can be difficult. Or, or you have to at least hire people that all speak at least one of the same same languages. Exactly, you know, all, all speak Russian or all speak English or, yeah,
3: right. The so challenge we have is not only just only, you know, the people actually can speak English or can speak, you know, one of the languages that actually would be common language between those corporations, but also we need to understand that, you know, these are different cultures. And the way we actually work, this is a global, uh, e-commerce, you know, company. And, uh, in other words, you know, we're analytic, analytically and, you know, we are deciding Strategy, of the product being sold, and all that stuff. So basically, the communications, traditions, and uh, you know how people are paying and what paying therefore, those are very important things. And that's why you know our main uh, goal is the communication between the corporations that we have in different countries.
1: So I had planned on asking you next what some of your greatest challenges are in you know dealing with a global company. It sounds like language, culture, those communications are probably would be first on your list. Are there other challenges though that you're de- you have to deal with that maybe a company that's purely domestic or only in two countries would have to deal with?
3: Well, um, you know, uh, again, you know, the challenges within the you know inside of each country, each region have their own you know challenges, and we do not have uh, what called planned uh, strategy because you know, every single time, every single region changes their laws and their culture and their habits. Uh, So we're talking about, you know, because we are strictly B 2B company, business to business company, uh, but the consumer's experience is the most important thing for us. And that's why, you know, when uh, every single New region changes any kind of laws. Comply with it, and we have to generate that information. We have to generate the strategy that actually will we'll be compliant within that new laws and all that stuff. So uh, basically, we're you know pretty much you know sitting on a computer every day and working on <laughs> on uh, all the changes that was
1: happening. You know. So it sounds like you you're you've really kind of grown into someone who's very good at. You know, leading a company like this and being able to stay ahead of the challenges and, and goals for your company. So was there someone that maybe early on had a big impact on you, uh, that really contributed to the type of leader you are today?
3: Uh, yes, of course. Um, you know, I started, you know, uh, this business, in you know, actually this industry, e-commerce industry, about probably uh, eight years ago. And there was a guy who actually, you know, helped me out to put this, uh, things in there. Uh, basically, uh, I was, um, you know, uh, underwriter, financial underwriter for several banks in the U.S. And all of a sudden, you know, uh, you know, someone came up and it says, Hey, Let's do the e-commerce, and my first reaction was like, "What the heck is that?" You know, what are you gonna do with e-commerce? <laughs> now, uh, when I'm seeing like you know five, six hundred thousand you know transactions per minute, uh, the money that we're actually making—that actually makes a lot of change, and um, you know, uh, it changed my life, changed life of my family, and it is very grateful, very grateful, but it is a life-changing experience. You know, to get into the e-commerce and looking at the e-commerce, and the globalization of the whole worldwide
1: business, and that's actually uh, very challenging, and that's actually very exciting too. So, it, was there maybe? Uh, sounds like you had a little bit of a transition there, from kind of going from one industry to the next, and maybe, you know, being in position of an underwriter as a, as opposed to being a CEO and, and and running a company and strategy and everything. Is so there something that maybe that's really, really important to what you're doing right now, but you weren't very good at it when you started that you had to really work on? Is there maybe something you could identify for us and kind of talk to us about how you did that?
3: Well, uh, every CEO, I mean, you have to look at this way. There's a CEO, what is that? The chief executive officer, right? Uh, the CEO, uh, if, if, if any CEO will come to me and tell me that I know every single of my business, I would not believe it. There is no CEO in a world who is going to say, I know
1: You know, one of our favorite questions to ask our guests is is about what they're reading right now. And I'm, I'm wondering if, if you are reading something, it have fifty-fifty 50-50 chance that it might be in English. So tell us, are, is there anything you're reading right now that you're, you know, kind of to further develop yourself?
3: <laughs> no, that's a funny question. Uh, so let's week on uh, languages, you know, half point. And with different, you know, dialects and all that stuff. But, uh, the reading, uh, I can tell one thing. If you're talking about the books, yeah, I read the books when I'm trying to sleep. But everything else, yes, I am sitting on internet. I'm always, you know, watching the news. I'm always uh, working on uh, researching, and also we have a research department that actually gives me a lot of information about news that what's happening and everything like that. So the reading uh, is the most important thing right now, and uh, you know, being in e-commerce. Uh, you are putting yourself in connection with the e-commerce news and information that you have to always read, read and read. That's the only thing that actually will put you in a position that you actually will be in contact. It will be in connection with this, you know, current structure
1: and current, you know, status of the e-commerce. So you find yourself more reading, like you said, the research that your team's putting together, or blogs, yep. or things like that, that are more small snippets Correct. of information as opposed to, you know, a larger book that's dealing with a particular concept.
3: Exactly. Yeah. You have to read, and you have to uh, always analyze the situation in the market. You have to analyze the strategy. You have to know and analyze, you know, what's uh, going on with the big companies, small companies, what is the trend. When the tactic is going on, the strategy of the you know the whole retail system, you know, uh, as we know that e-commerce is actually uh, tremendously growing very fast, and we're trying to just you know catch it up and, and you know, making sure that we're
1: actually of it. So, given the unique challenges that your company has with with language, uh, distance, uh, time, uh, everything else, what are some of the ways that you help your company be creative and really ensure that, you know, when it's time to brainstorm about a problem that you're able to effectively do that.
3: Well, um, the biggest challenge that, you know, the biggest thing that you have to have for your company, especially when it's a global company and you're dealing with it, you know, uh, several time levels or time zones. Um, you know, uh, the biggest challenge is to make sure that there is going to be a communication uh, within our system, we actually came up with a, um, what you called? a, a company management system that actually doesn't have uh, nine to five. So every single person in our company works. They can work from home, they can work from office, whatever they want. But the whole point is that they need to be in contact. Uh, and that's one of the things that actually we came up with, and it was actually very effective because. Uh, uh as a matter of fact they work much more but the second challenge that we had is the communication um, that's why we have a specific department that actually communicate between these corporations that we have to make sure that the message is being delivered correctly and the message is being answered correctly so uh, those are the challenges that we have and we pretty much you know uh, trying to control that i'm not going to say that we're successful in that you know at this point but we're working hard on that
1: so you know how do you then encourage those that work for you to continue to develop themselves and to get better uh with as busy as you are it sounds like doing all these different things you you, do you have time to to mentor and develop the, the people within your company
3: for myself, you know, uh, I don't believe any CEO can be able to handle all that, you know, uh, pressure. So, uh, um, you know, I have a HR department, and also uh, what we have in our system is that every single, you know, client—I mean, every single, you know, employee—have a chance an opportunity to grow within their department, within their system, and you know, uh, because we are, we, you know, we're a global company. Uh, and the knowledge that we see within our employees, we also motivate them to have an opportunity to open up their own branches within our sister companies that we actually build within the whole wide arena. So they can be able to build their own company, they can be able to build their own business, and uh, they can be able to become their own CEO within those those regions. So those are one of the motivations besides the the bonuses and money and everything
1: like that. You know, through this experience, I mean, you've talked a lot about some of the things, the transition that you've had, uh, a lot of the good things that you're doing and and ways that you've had to grow and been influenced. I'm wondering if there was maybe at some point a painful lesson you had to learn, you know, something that wasn't easy to go through, but maybe looking back on it was very helpful or very impactful in, in your career to you know, kind of be who you are today.
3: interesting uh, well, yeah, that's a very, very, very interesting question. Um, the the biggest biggest challenge that I had in my life when I was trying to build this, you know, structure, was the communication. But as I said, you know, again, uh, it doesn't make a difference in you know, how fluent you are in different languages, but when you talk in, for example, when I'm talking to Russians, i um, explaining them in Russian. Still, uh, I, I feel that they don't get me, or they don't get me seriously. The culture difference uh, actually was the biggest problem for me. Mm-hmm. When I had this, you know, the whole company that actually, we actually manufactured together. get it. But the whole point is that, again, you know, when you're working on the system, uh, the system when there's a lot of culture and traditions involved, uh, you have to deal with that tradition because, again, some of your employees in Russia may I not understand the way you are telling them what to do. Some of the employees in Middle East, they will look at you and say, "Oh, an American, all right." So you uh, trying to tell me again <laughs> what to do. So uh, again, and that was a joke. So uh, what I'm trying to tell you is that you know you have to always be nice and always be right on the point and always be on concentrated to, to the strategy and the goal. Achievement, goal, and opportunity. That's what we actually you know, have in our company, and that's what we cherish in our
1: company. Well, I mean, certainly some of the things that you just described, especially as it relates to the differences in, in Russian and American uh, cultures. I mean, I've been to Russia five times and I experienced some of that. It was interesting that in kind of official, more serious situations, if the conversation was very long, there seemed to be a high level of understanding and respect and everything. But if it was shorter, which is maybe a little bit more appropriate in in American culture to have a, you know, quick, here's the information. Here's what I need. Yes or no. And and you, and you move on. It seemed like those interactions in Russia were never, never taken well. They needed to be much longer. It needed to be much more explained and drawn out or, you know, some level of, uh, Trust had to be built you know, between the two people, uh, maybe a bit more than, than what I would you know, necessarily say we, we have here on a daily basis with, with someone who you're not friends with that maybe you're meeting for the first time. So they're,
3: they're really of course, yeah know. big yeah, change. That, that's the important thing. That's the important thing. One of the things that we need to understand, one thing that the globalization is always going to be the finalized dedication of the economy. Uh, I believe in that e-commerce will take over, uh, you know, the whole thing in a global level, and the globalization. I believe it will bring, will bring not only uh, communication between the countries and cultures, cultures. Also, it will be uh, the guarantee of the peace and all that stuff. So let's say I'm, I'm not a liberal, all right. So uh, let's say I'm, I'm a CEO, I'm a conservative, all right. But the whole point is though. Uh, Globalization is going to bring a necessity of communication between the cultures. And the necessity of the communication between cultures will bring necessity of learning and researching and understanding different cultures. That itself is achievement that we actually try to achieve.
1: Well, it certainly is a a fascinating problem that you seem to be doing well with and, and learning from every day. Uh, I really want to thank you for being on our, our show today. And the, the final quick question is: Is how can Appreciate people it. learn yeah. more about your company if they want to to reach out and, and find out?
3: Yeah. Well, basically, you know, uh, we uh, our website is www.payelp.com, and we are you know working on bringing every single retailer or website, new or big companies, into or you arena. we're opening up um, basically uh, all the payment gateways within those regions, local regions, you know, Latin America, China, Russia, Middle East, Europe and all that stuff to be able to for the you know, product that actually we do we do also monetization we do also marketing and of the website so basically uh if you want to you know just go right, you worldwide, know, just give us a call as simple as
1: that fantastic well again thank you so much for being our guest we'd love to have you come back someday and uh, give us an update about uh, your of success I will
3: meet you again all, all right.
1: right so uh, so Thank you, thank you again to my special guests Brady Valentine and Albert Donahue. Tune in next week at the same time, one p.m. Pacific Standard Time, for Talent Talk, brought to you by People G Two, to hear Susan Strayer uh, Lamote, founder of um, Exacto ExactoWeo, excuse me, and John Hall, CEO of Influencing Company. Until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. <laughs> You've
0: been listening to Town Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a company dedicated to helping clients with their people-related decisions.